being lost and you can really lose yourself listening to singing like that. You've blessed us this morning. And thank you, Kim, for teaching him everything that he knows. I have to have the talent and the drive. <laughs> I also want to uh, introduce you uh, briefly to a guest we have here with us. Uh, Jim Michaels in the back. Uh, I've seen him, but we haven't spoken. Uh, Jim is a guest with us from Indianapolis. Uh, he works for uh, Church Extension, which is one of the ministries of our general church. Um, and he's going to be meeting uh, this afternoon. We've met with him before, um, but his first time to worship with us. And we'll be spending the afternoon with him, our trustees, our vision team, to kind of think about uh, our facilities here, our, our building and, and our space around our building, and to look ahead in the next 20 years. So he's our guide on that lost journey. Uh, so thank you, Jim, for being here with us. Let us pray now. God of the uncertain, God of the forsaken, the empty, the thunderstruck, God of the lost, we come now in the midst of this dark woods journey searching for you. We pray that you open our eyes that we may see your lightning flashing, open our ears to hear the roar of your thunder. And open our hearts to sense your spirit leading us along the way. Amen. Look back at your life. Think about those times when you found your way. When you found yourself right where you knew you were supposed to be. Most likely these sweet spot moments in life were arrived at after a prolonged time of being lost. In church, we like to talk about being lost as a bad thing. After all, it's the word we give to those who we say are without Christ, the lost. But you can't be found until you've been lost. You can't find your path where you were born to be until you've spent some time wandering around in the dark woods. In a moment, Marty's going to read to us our contemporary reading, a poem called Lost. And then Gary Fox is going to share with us a story about being lost. And perhaps while listening to that story, you may find your own story, your spiritual journey. Lost by David Wagner. Stand still. The trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here. And you must treat it as a powerful stranger. You must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen, it answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. <coughs> Our Lenten season series on the dark woods has been of great interest to me, in large part because it has caused me to reflect back on an experience 
my oldest son Andy and I had nearly 20 years ago in the very dark, very scary, very deep woods in northern Montana. Andy had just finished his freshman year at Iowa State and we were excited to have him go with us for one last family vacation to Glacier National Park in Montana. Andy and I are avid fly fishermen for trout and one of the best times to catch them is at twilight. This potential to have some great but brief evening fishing is what led us to end up deep in the dark woods. In driving back and forth from our campground, we had spotted a place where a waterfall dropped into a deep pool and it looked like an excellent place to catch a few nice big trout. Our plan was to catch as many fish as we could before it got too dark, climb up and around the waterfall, and then hike back along the stream to camp. We had a large topographical map of the park, and we knew that the stream went about a mile from our campsite to this spot, and we were pretty experienced hikers. In hindsight, we might have been a bit more cautious, but gripped by fishing fever, we were more concerned with how many fish we might catch than details of our planned hike back to camp. Well, evening came, and Mary Jo dropped us off. We fished for about 45 minutes and didn't catch even one small fish. Discouraged but undaunted, we set out to climb up and around the waterfall in our fishing hip boots, complete with nine-foot-long fishing rods and other fishing gear. The climb was much more difficult than it had looked, and when we finally worked our way back to the stream above the waterfall, it was still a very steep cascade of water, not at all suitable for hiking back to camp. So back into the woods we went. After 20 minutes or so of extremely difficult thrashing about the brush and over rocks and fallen trees, we found the overhead electric line that supplies power to the camp and followed it back to the stream. But when we got to a clearing at the edge of the stream, even though it was getting quite dark, we could see that the stream was in a gorge several hundred feet below with no clear path down or back to camp for that matter. Extremely tired and thirsty, we sat down to ponder our fate. We wisely decided that trying to climb down to the river was just too risky, that one or both of us would probably fall to our death or at least serious injury, especially since we were still in our fishing boots. We also ruled out spending the night holed up in the woods to wait for morning, because in addition to being tired, discouraged, and thirsty, we were scared. <laughs> in a wilderness, there are wild animals, such as huge moose or elk that can trample you and kill you if you disturb them. Even worse, there are also grizzly bears, black bears, and mountain lions that might not only kill you, but eat you. <laughs> By process of elimination, that left only the option to head back into the deep, dark woods to try to find a very narrow hiking trail that we had hiked on and knew led to camp. Meanwhile, back in camp, Mary Jo was pretty much frantic with worry and more than a little angry at us, <laughs> by which I mean me. <laughs> she had gone to the ranger station to report us missing, and the ranger said that he would start a search party first thing in the morning. <laughs> but it was too dangerous to go wandering around in the wilderness in the middle of the night, even if we were dumb enough to be doing just that. <laughs> Back on the edge of the gorge high above the stream, we had no delusions that anyone was going to come rescue us. So I said some silent prayers, told Andy I was pretty sure how to get back to camp, and off we went again. I didn't know if God had heard my prayers. I certainly didn't hear his voice giving me any answers. 
But he did give us each other for support and comfort, helped keep us from panicking and just rushing headlong into certain disaster, and also provided a clear night with just enough light to see the steep profile of rising Wolf Mountain outlined against the starry sky. I knew that we could use that profile to keep on a heading that would eventually intercept the hiking trail rather than going in circles. For more than an hour we plunged on, trying to keep a heading toward Rising Wolf Mountain, even though it was so dark that we literally couldn't see our hands in front of our faces. It was physically exhausting and painfully slow, but at least it helped keep our minds off what, may I, what might be out there all around us. At some point, I tripped over an unseen rock or tree root and fell into a large pile of brush, tearing a hole in my hip boots, adding a few more scratches to my arms and body, and losing my glasses. Finally, we did come upon the hiking trail, and we were so happy and relieved that our ordeal was almost over. Even on the trail, the going was steep and difficult and took longer than we thought it should. But finally, we made it back to camp, and even though it was after midnight, Mary Jo and Dan and Rob were still up, too worried to sleep, and they were as happy and relieved to see us as we were to see them. After a day of mostly resting up, we went for a 17-mile hike, several miles of it along the Continental Divide, several thousand feet above the valleys below, with a spectacular view of some of God's grandest and most scenic creation. <coughs> On our way along the same trail around the base of Rising Wolf Mountain, we tried to find the place where we had stumbled out of the wilderness and onto that wonderful trail. Even in broad daylight, we could only see 50 feet or so into the thick growth, and we never could find our path. But Andy and I both knew that having escaped the deep, dark woods after only a brief encounter, we never, ever wanted to go back into them again. Thank you. Gary, I, I love that story because it paints that picture for us, what it feels like to really be lost. And it usually happens innocently enough. You step off the path often for good reason. You follow a lead, maybe a job, maybe it's a girl or a boy. Maybe you're just tired and you need a break, so you wander. Maybe you're bored and you're looking for adventure. Maybe it is that promise of a big fish. Whatever the reason, you step off the path, and there you find yourself in uncharted territory. Adventure awaits, that's for sure, and it's great until it gets dark, and it's time to find your way back home. That's when fear sets in. Even after Gary and Andy found the trail, it was so dark, they couldn't see their hand in front of their faces. He lost his glasses, but I don't think you really needed <coughs> your glasses. They didn't really help. So why would we call that kind of experience, being lost, a gift? We don't like being lost. We run from it. We don't step out in faith because we aren't sure what lies ahead. For fear of getting lost, we'll waste our life away in safety. And of course, Gary and Andy were never truly lost. All around them were signs pointing the way. It just took some desperation to realize what was there. That if they were going to make it out alive, they had to start paying attention to what was around them. The poem we read a moment ago says, stand still. You did that a few times. Stand still. The trees ahead and the bushes beside you are not lost. 
Listen. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. And that, that's the gift. Now, when I've been lost, be it on a trip or in the woods or just in the midst of life, I'm always forced to pay attention. When I'm lost, I pray more. I meditate longer. I'm quiet. I listen better. I don't have much to go on. So I learn to trust myself again, my gut intuitions. I learn to listen for God's spirit, that quiet voice leading the way. Lost on the mountain, Gary and Andy didn't really have a map that would take them the way home. They knew the path was there, but the tools they had were not adequate to find their way through the brush. But what they had was experience, instinct. They focused on what they knew, and after going through all the options, they realized the only way out was to go back in, to enter into the dark wood. And so it is with us in life. We try to avoid it, to avoid being lost. But often the only way to find our way out is to enter back into that darkness, to not run from it, but allow ourselves to be lost, to learn the lessons that the darkness has to teach us. Go deep into the dark, deep into our interior selves until we find life again and find that path that leads home. Earlier, we read Psalm 42. It is a desperate song, a deer thirsty, panting for streams of water. Day and night, all they have for food is tears, doubt, and questioning, where is our God? The psalmist is lost, but it's there in the midst of being lost that she remembers the way. She remembers her God and how her God once led the people through the wilderness, From her desperation, she cries out deep, calling to deep, the psalm says. Her deep desperation calling for the deep waters of God's spirit. And it's in that cry when the song begins to make a turn from desperation to hope and the journey home begins. Of course, at the end of the psalm, she still asks, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? She's still lost. She hasn't found the way out. But being lost has taught her what she really needed to learn in life. Hope in God. She says, hope in God. That's the path out. Jesus told his disciples, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If you want to find your life, you must get lost. In other words, getting lost can save your life. Our souls depend on it. In the midst of safe, comfortable, and secure lives, we forget how to trust. We forget how to trust in ourselves and our own instincts. We forget to trust in those traveling with us. We forget to trust in God's spirit leading the way. But when we're lost, we have no choice but to trust again. To see, perhaps for the first time, small signs of God's spirit shining all around us. We learn to take each step carefully with intention. We learn to rely on those journeying with us. And there, as we are lost in the midst of the dark wood, we find ourselves again. Our life begins to come together with God's call, and we realize we've never been more awake and more alive in our whole lives. So today, my prayer for you is that you may find that blessing of being lost right where you are. And being lost, you will wake up to your life. 
and see that wherever you may be, you are, as the poet says, here. You are here. And here is where Jesus always is, guiding you. All you need to do is trust in God. As we find our way this morning again to the table of Christ, let us sing the song of trust. I want Jesus to walk with me. We'll sing verses 1 and 2. We'll have our prayer of confession. And then we'll finish the song by singing verse 3. What number is it? Number 627.